0: hi everyone this is Ugo che and this is the traveling image makers podcast we have a special episode this week a few weeks ago I was at the auto Chicago conference and I had the honor and the pleasure to be the panel moderator for a discussion about the state of landscape photography and we had three um, incredible uh, landscape photographers very well renowned on the stage we had uh, Josh Cripps Ian plant and Bill Fortney so we this conversation about what it means to be a landscape photographer and the difficulties and the sacrifices that one has to do to bring home the uh, the images that have made those people famous uh, we went on for about one and a half hours so we're going to to split the the recording into two and we're going to present the first half this week and the second half next week. So uh, next week it will be, again, same panel, but uh, more topics uh, of discussion. So I hope you will appreciate this. Uh, Just um, a little caveat here, sound quality uh, is not the the same level that you are used to here we had just some microphones in the room or picking up a bit of background noise but i think the the result is quite good the quality is uh, uh is appreciable uh, still intelligible and i mean the what's important is the the things that were said uh and uh, they were uh, such a great discussion and also those people are funny as hell i mean that's uh, Lots of laughs from the audience and I'm sure uh, you will have your your moments of joy and laughter listening to them. So there's not much else to say aside from uh, that we will be back with the regular programming in two weeks from now. And if you want to leave us comments or leave us reviews on iTunes and so on, you will find all the links for this episode and all the others at TTIM.photo. And now, enjoy our conversation with uh, Josh Grips, Ian Plant and Bill Fortney. Thank you for listening. So I'm really honored, really excited to be here. Uh, I have to confess I'm feeling a little bit inadequate. The, uh, the moderator here i looking at myself and looking at those people and what they've accomplished for all these years, and I'm trying to, to see if I could something different, and I'm really asking myself, that I get it all wrong these years, does it really take to grow a beard, to become a leader? <laughs> <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: I'm, I'm clearly <laughs> inadequate as well, <laughs> So, what, what do you make of that? <laughs>
2: you have a time, grasshopper. <laughs> I have. This is five years now.
0: <laughs> so uh, we'd like to to ask each of you, uh, what what made you decide to, to become a landscape photographer? Uh, all those uh, all those efforts like being out in the field, bad weather, good weather, getting up early, uh, long hikes, and so on. When I mean, you could have maybe been an Instagram influencer and photograph cats or <laughs> five-star results. Well, what made you decide to become a landscape photographer instead? Maybe Joshua, to... How how you got started?
1: Well, um, I got started kind of by accident. I grew up in, uh, in the mountains in California, and I, my family would always take us camping, hiking, and things like that. When you're a kid, you take everything for granted and don't think about the perspective. That maybe a lot of people don't have that opportunity to do that, and so that was just normal to grow up and be in the forest and be in the mountains. And then I decided that I was going to go to Los Angeles and study engineering uh, for my degree. And as soon as I got there, just where is all the trees and where are the deer and the chipmunks and the (laughs) granite and all that stuff? And so that was the moment that I realized: well, all the stuff that I thought was very normal as as a kid was really this very important thing that I needed to have in my life. So that was when I started getting into hiking and backpacking and things like that. And then the photography came later. Um, uh, engineering. Any engineers in the room? Yeah. So it's super-duper fun, right, to study every single day, all day, all the time. So I got really burned out on school and decided that after I graduated that I was going to go traveling because that was something I hadn't really had a chance to do up to that point. And so I went on a round the world trip and was having these incredibly formative experiences in seeing different cultures and having different values impressed upon me and uh, seeing beautiful landscapes that just don't exist in California and being completely and utterly incapable of sharing this experience with my family and my friends back home. and being very frustrated by that, you know, and you just have these little tiny shots on the back of a little. I had a Sony Cybershot, two megapixel camera, and I upload these snapshots online, and people go, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm like, it's more than cool. Like, this is changing the course of my life, but how can I express that? How can I bring that? And so that's what got me thinking. Maybe if I could take those pictures, people would understand what it's like for me to experience these moments. And uh, so that's how I wanted to get interested in photography and then why I get up in the morning, go out in thunderstorms and rainstorms. For, for the love of nature. the love of nature. Yeah, you know, it's always worth it, I think. For me, landscape photography is about building a personal relationship with the natural world. And yeah, sometimes it really sucks when it's minus however many degrees outside and it's raining and sometimes it's just like that, and you're out there for a few hours and life is really kind of miserable. But then other times the storm breaks and the sun starts coming down and it lights up the mountain in a way. And over the years you start to look at the world in a more subtle, more refined way. And you see that moment, it's, you realize it's something that's very special, that's only gonna happen once, and you happen to be there and you've got to witness it and got to experience that beauty. And for me, I think that photography is a vehicle to have those kinds of experiences and hopefully share those with other people so that they can say, wait, wait, this is this is California. This is a real place that I can go visit that I can experience. So I think that's why I do it. Well, I, uh,
2: I kind of stumbled into photography on accident as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I never did photography for probably the first half of my life. Uh, in fact, I was absolutely awful at all forms of art. Uh, you should see, uh, here's some audio from my heavy metal days when, uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I couldn't carry a tune. I, I couldn't draw. I couldn't paint. I, I was just absolutely awful at anything artistic. And uh, my early interest was completely the opposite of what I do now. I came out of college and decided I wanted to be a politician, which, you know, is laughable because you know, I just don't have any political skills whatsoever. Uh, and I figured that the best vehicle for doing that was to go to law school, be a lawyer. And so I did that. I went to law school and uh, became a lawyer. But uh, one summer when I was in law school, I was working a job in uh, New York City uh, as, a, as a, uh, a law intern or whatever you want to call it. First time I'd ever made any real money in my life. So I went out and bought a camera, just for the fun of it. I bought a, Pentax, a used Pentax K1000, old film camera. Uh didn't even have a, a proper camera meter in it. just had that needle that would go up and down if your, if your exposure was too much or too little. And I started taking pictures with it. And I realized then that I had made a huge $100,000 mistake. Uh, that Pentax was 100000 Yes. <laughs> I think I paid a little too much for it. <laughs> I was hooked on photography. I realized that any goal I had ever had in my life up to that point was just pure idiotic, and I knew then that I was going to be a professional photographer at some point, and unfortunately, I had this $100,000 legal career that I needed to pay off, so uh, I practiced law for eight years, and you know, practice is, is, a, is a little uh, uh, generous, uh, I was a really awful lawyer, I was, I was always dreaming of photography, so it took me several years to pay off that law school debt and then maybe save a little bit of money. And I remember coming home one day to my wife. Uh, I was just, I basically got fed up. I couldn't take the job anymore. I'd been there long enough that they were uh, they were telling me that I had to put myself up for partner or leave. So I said, all right, I'm leaving. I gave him my two weeks' notice, and I, I come back to my wife, and I say, uh, hey, honey, I just quit my job. And she says, what? She's like, you were supposed to be my sugar daddy. <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> Um, in terms of, of why I got into landscape photography, I'd always been interested in uh, nature. As a kid I did a lot of hiking and backpacking and things like that. So it was just a natural evolution of, of my early interest. The, the irony is that I don't really consider myself a landscape photographer anymore. I built my early career as a photographer solely on landscape work that's all I did for the first five or six years but in the past five or six years I've branched out and I do a lot of wildlife I, I even God forbid take pictures of people now uh, which is something that I never would have done uh, six or seven years ago. So I consider myself more of a generalist now than anything and, and the other irony about about the fact that I built my career as a landscape photographer is that of all the types of photography I do, I'm absolutely the worst at landscape photography. I'm much better at some of the other types of photography that I've taken on since then. So,
0: so can you tell the story of how you got published by
2: before Oh, well, I, yeah, I mean, this was, this was, uh, I'm goodness. sorry. <laughs> uh, this was a long time ago. <laughs> I keep trying to remember when it was. It was uh, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it might have been close to 20 years ago. So it was before I had turned pro, I was still in my... Uh, that phase where I was working a real job but telling everyone that I was a photographer when they met me. Uh, so, you know, I was playing photographer, and there was a photo contest. It was uh, Bill Fortney, uh, uh, David Middleton, and John Shaw ran this photo contest. Uh, now, photo contests are a dime a dozen, but back in the day, there were barely any nature photography uh, photo contests. So, these three gentlemen who were uh, just absolutely the kings of nature <coughs> photography in their time. You, you know, three of the biggest names. You know, you know the other two guys were, were pretty big. I mean, not, you know, not Bill, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's no. what I was thinking. No, these, these guys were, were three of the, the biggest names in the business at the time. So this was a, a really big deal, uh, this contest. Uh, and um, a lot of uh, young nature photographers were excited, and I entered... Uh, I sent in 10 Fuji Chrome Velvia slides. You know, this, these were in the days when I was shooting 35 millimeters, so this was really in the very beginning of, of my uh, uh, amateur uh, portion of my, my photography career because I, I eventually switched over to large format for several years before I turned pro and then sold all that equipment and bought digital. Uh, so this was, a, this was a long time ago. And so I sent in 10 absolutely awful uh, chromes uh, into the contest, and for some reason, probably it was the twenty dollars bill I slipped in with the submission. Uh, <laughs> one of these guys picked one of my images to be published in the book. Out of I don't know, there must have been a hundred or two hundred images that were published in the book. So, you know, Wait, I, and we got
3: five thousand.
2: Yeah. So yeah, which which at the time, I know it was a big contest. It was yeah, a big contest. Yeah. So uh, did you guys? Did the three of you go through all of those? 5, we we edited
3: books? all five thousand.
2: Wow. <laughs> So it was a huge deal to me, but uh, as I was saying earlier to Bill, uh, I, was, I was incensed uh, because of the 10 images I sent. they picked the worst one to publish it. The... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's how, that's how uh, that was my, my first time getting published, and it really launched my, my career in some in a very significant way being in that book. So thank you. Well, my pleasure. <laughs>
0: and last but not least, Bill. Uh what's the story of
3: your photography well after 10 years as chief of neurosurgery at john hopkins hospital you <laughs> got an engineer and got to do something <laughs> neurosurgeons and rocket
0: scientists.
3: Yeah, you know actually um, this is a true story it sounds like a comedian's <laughs> sketch but it's a true story i was a high school teacher and a high school football coach and to coach back then, you had to take the freshman team your first year, and then you got to go up to the big staff. So I got the freshman, and my team set a record at James A.K. Wood High School, which doesn't exist anymore, that will never be broken because the high school doesn't exist anymore, and no one will ever beat the record that we had. My freshman team not only didn't win a game, we didn't score. An entire <laughs> um, about that time, I took up... Same thing as these guys, I bought a camera, and I just fell madly in love with it. It it was, I knew that what I wanted to be was a photographer, and uh, I I didn't really care. I left teaching, and uh, my first job was at a newspaper. I was a a daily newspaper photographer, and then I was an AP rep, and then I went on to do commercial photography photography. And a lot of stuff in the energy industry did underground coal mining photography. You've never lived a day till you worked five miles back under a mountain in a space smaller than the bottom of this table. That's a hard place to make photographs. But anyway, I eventually uh, got into doing workshops. I started a company called the Great American Photography Weekends. And I hired, at the time, the biggest names in the business. John Shaw, Art Wolf, the late Galen Rao, uh, David Munch. Larry West, Jim Brandenburg. These were names that at the time were like the top tier, like these guys are now. And so um, I'm always running around with the top tier guys. But, uh, <laughs> but in all honesty, um, I just fell in love with it. I, I wanted more than anything else to have a, a camera in my hand. i told my wife uh, when they bury me, I want until they close the casket, I want, a, I want somebody to put a camera in my hand. Because that's how I've lived, is with a camera in my hand. And to me, it's, it's a, uh, not only do I love the photography, I love the fellowship. Uh, all of these people that I've gotten to meet because of photography, All the, there's people sitting out here in front of me that have been students of mine that, uh, that are now good friends. And um, it's the people, honestly, more than anything. And um, I am not a great photographer. Um, I think I think today there are many exceptional photographers, unfortunately. I mean, we've turned up a whole lot of people. Um, but, I mean, saying that you're in the top tier anymore, I don't even know that there is tiers anymore. I think there's people who are doing more. The thing that all of us are facing that a lot of people don't know is photography has changed. And it is not, it is not as easy to make a living being a photographer as it was 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the John Shaws and the art. art Art probably in the old days I've known Art for 27 years when I first met him he was grossing he was grossing a million dollars a year as a photographer but he had seven employees Mm -hmm. and he was spending all of that money to go to these exotic places to shoot and um, I knew many photographers that um, one of my students asked Rod Plank you all know Rod Plank oh yeah wonderful photographer somebody asked Rod said he was an airline pilot he said you know I'm going to quit being an airline pilot, and I'm going to become a nature photographer. And Rod Plank said, have you always wanted to be in abject poverty? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, fly the airplane and shoot when you get where you're going. He said, you've got a great job. And, but it's changed. It's a lot different. In the old days, you could make 100000 a year on stock. Today, the guy that was making $100,000 10 years ago is making 5000 in stock, if that much. So it's really changed. And I'm, I'm so proud of these younger guys that are coming on because they're sticking with a profession that's tougher and tougher to stay in. Um, and they're, they're they're not doing it for the... I'm not saying they're probably doing well, but um, you'd probably been better off to stay a lawyer if you wanted to you know, retire rich. But but that's... for So I guess what I'm saying is I did it because I love it and I still do it because I love it. And I'm very much like... Like them, I'm shooting a lot more stuff than just landscape. Um, I, I worked for Nikon the last 11 years of my career. Mm-hmm. And I went, I, I had to shoot shuttle launches and NASCAR races. That's the craziest, you know, three hours of left-hand turns. I still mm-hmm. don't get that. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, you know, we, I, I did all these different kinds of photography. And I realized, God, you know, there's something other than mountains and streams and waterfalls. And,
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I, I, and as much as I still love nature, and I still do it a lot. I love doing other stuff, travel and, and you know, cultures and um, so anyway, I live in eastern Kentucky, that's a different culture altogether. So But anyway, that's it. Thank you.
0: Uh, so Bill, you said that yeah, photography is changing and landscape photography is changing. And besides the commercial aspects of it, I would like you to concentrate a bit on the artistic side of it because when I look at what is gets published and especially at what is popular online I see it changing. I'm, I'm not sure it is changing in a, in a good way because you see a lot of conformity, a lot of uh, many people and being popular because they adhere to, to a particular style, uh, oversaturated sunsets or go to 500px, you see slide after slide of those, uh, those kind of photos and it uh, starts to become a little bit uh, boring in the end. Uh, so. Uh, What what do you make of that? What what do you think is uh, photography, landscape photography, headed artistically? Is it changing? Is it trying to find new ways of expression?
3: Senator, I don't recollect that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to say something that's political, and I don't mean it to be political. I mean it photographic, and it's to answer your question. We live in a society today that says, if you like it, do it. It's no problem. Now, I'm not making a judgment about that. But photography has come to the same circle. We've given up some of the principles that we were founded on, and we're saying, you know, um, man, if I really throw the saturation of that, or if I put a filter on it, maybe somebody's going to like it. And I'm, if that's what a person wants to do, that's fine. Hmm. But for me personally, I would love to go back to where we try to make it a craft, where we try to hone our skills and learn how to do things. And I'm sitting with two young men that do that exceptionally well. So it's easy for me to say that. There was one other photographer sitting here, and it was someone who does what I'm talking about. I probably have to be careful about saying this. But in all honesty, um, I think there's something pure about doing this legitimately. If you want to throw... And listen, I use topaz and stuff like that occasionally for a shot that I think needs to look like a painting. But... My general everyday photography, I'm trying to make the best image I can based on the principles that were handed down to me by the masters that came before I did. And I'm I'm 71 years old, I'm trying to pass down to the young people that I have a chance to influence to do the same thing, to take this as a craft, to uh, honor it Mm -hmm. by doing the very best that you can. Uh, Not that you can't sometimes vary a little bit to try something artistic, I think that's great, But don't get tricked into thinking it doesn't matter anymore whether you get great exposure and you have your white balance correct and you have compositions that are clean and honest and show the viewer what you want to show them. Those things are just as necessary today as they were when Ansel Adams was driving a Woody down the California coast and shooting it. It's the same stuff, and we're doing the same stuff. So that's kind of where I fall
2: well, I'm going to make a statement about this that is uh, a little bit of an overgeneralization and a bit extreme. Uh, I point. hate everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, landscape photography, in a sense, doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, what what Ugo is talking about uh, that we see online, uh, landscape photography has been taken over by uh, people who are creating photo-manipulated composites that have no bearing to reality. And landscape photography, of all the types of photography, has been uh, particularly susceptible to this. Uh, Wildlife photography, I think, has remained a, a lot more like traditional photography, because there's still some big photo contests out there, like wildlife photographer of the year, that require raw file submissions. Uh, before you can win the contest, and and all the wildlife photographers I know are constantly competing to be in that contest. So, most of the wildlife photographers I know still act like traditional photographers, but a lot of the landscape photographers, almost the the vast majority of them these days, are not doing traditional photography. Uh, You know, back in the day when I first started as a photographer, I shot color slide film, which was the standard in nature photography for decades, and what you did before you triggered the shutter is what determined what the photograph looked like. There was no post-processing at all. Uh, you know, we didn't even do darkroom work when we were shooting. That. So that, was, to me, that was pure photography. Uh, and Hugo uh, mentioned like a lot of stuff is now oversaturated, but it's it's much much worse than that with landscape photography. There's a whole uh, school of photography. Uh, I call it the Pacific Northwest school of photography because a lot that seems to be like where it started. Uh, that they they, uh, they 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 just take a bunch of photos and they figure out a way to to merge them together, and they add skies that weren't there, add rainbows that weren't actually in the shot, they they warp the shape of everything. At the end, it's really a digital painting, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a very different form of art than traditional photography, and that's what I wanted to be when I started being a photographer. I wanted to be a photographer. I mean, I could sit at home in my underwear in front of my computer and build pixel by pixel. A, a piece of digital art from scratch. But what I love about photography, and the reason why I, I, I lament what I see uh, these days, when I see this trend more and more towards these, these heavily manipulated photos, is to me, uh, photography is incredible because as the photographer, you get to experience that moment that you capture with your camera. That experience is the most important thing to me. The final product is never as good as the personal experience. Absolutely. And that's how it should be. Uh, to me, I, I don't have any problem with people who are painters. It's a different kind of art, a different kind of experience. And you know what I love about photography is just having that personal experience and trying to translate that to create a vicarious thrill for the viewer. And so what I see today in landscape photography is uh, it really has transformed into a different type of art. There's not a lot of f- folks out there who are still trying to do this more traditional approach in landscape photography. And, and those people who try to stay on that side of things, not, I'm, I'm not a purist by any means. Uh, I'll sometimes dabble in the, the black magic arts of uh, digital manipulation here and there, but uh, usually those images just don't see the light of day. And I, I, I try to keep things, I, I recognize where the industry is going. And sometimes I think, well, you know, it's inevitable, maybe you should just give up and, and join the trend. But uh, I've never been pretty good at, at that sort of mentality, so I, I stick to my guns as much as I can. Um, but uh, uh, but it's very, it, it's increasingly difficult for people who take a more traditional photography approach to compete with, you know, when someone's adding in, uh, you know, creating a double rainbow in the sky that wasn't there, and, you know, the end result just looks like this amazing, unreal Uh, Photograph it's hard to compete with that when you're actually out there trying to capture real events So it's to me. It's a big challenge And it's part of the reason why I've migrated away from landscape photography in the past five years because by Branching out and shooting other types of subjects. It allows me to create uh, a a Personal artistic vision. That's my own so I I feel like that's one way of avoiding having to if you can't beat them Join them with the landscape crowd is I just I just shift my focus so I can still do my own thing, create a unified vision, and find a way to be competitive with with the folks who are more aggressive with the Photoshop and with the
1: manipulation. Josh. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Ian said something that I th- I think I don't I couldn't have said any better about the experience of the image, and uh, I tr- I don't I don't stress too much about what uh, these manipulators are doing because I think every every photographer and every artist has to decide what the experience is about for that person. And for me, it's very much what Ian said. I want to be in that moment. For, for me, photography is an interpretation of an actual experience. right? And I think when you not only create the interpretation, but you create the experience in the computer, you fundamentally miss out on the joy and the beauty of being a photographer. And so, uh, I don't want to say that I necessarily feel sorry for the people who are doing it that way, but I think they are missing something that's really important about being a photographer, and um, so I think everyone just needs to decide like where, where they fall on that spectrum and what they want out of photography, and so I think having these kinds of conversations are really important because it's easy to go on a website like 500px or to look at the photos that are winning these photo contests and go, well, this is what I have to do as a photographer, mm-hmm. and those those images being so bright and flashy, they're much more uh, they're exactly there's yeah. much they're more appealing they're more visual within the whole space. So uh, unless there is the, the counterpoint, people you know and, and the, so you, you guys in the audience because probably half of you are like oh man I love I want to make these these manipulated images and then maybe other people will listen to what we say well I want the genuine experience I want you know see so we have to have that discussion. And um, and I think that's, that's a big, important part There's too.
3: a. I'll give you a history lesson. I'm the only one up here that lives long enough to tell you this. But um, when I first started, we were shooting Kodachrome film. Kodachrome film was beautiful. Everybody, it was the standard. Mm-hmm. You know, give me my Kodachrome 25 and I'm good. Then Fuji came along and gave us Velvia. Well, something happened at that time that started what's going on right now. We had very beautiful subtle colors in Kodachrome, and all of a sudden there was this film that everything was brighter and more red and more yellow and more green than it really was. And a very fundamental thing happened. A lot of people don't know this. Fuji and Kodak went out and did a little survey. Kodak asked their customers, would you rather have photographs that look real or photographs that look more colorful? And their customers said, photographs that are more real Fuji did the same thing, but they did it in a completely different way, and this is how it's really kind of interesting. They made two prints of the same scene. One of them was a Velvia-type color print, and one was like a codifrong-type print, and they said, which do you like? And people said, that one, the one with the brighter and more rich colors, and so they made a film that did that. Now... I'm sorry to be slashing editors, but most editors are in New York and a lot of them have never seen a tree. And, <laughs> and you know, so you start, if, if, if I send a picture on Kodachrome of a beautiful tree in the fall, and Ian some, sends one in on Velvia, well, the editor not knowing what a tree really looks like, and neither one of those films was accurate, by the way, but they look at the Velvia and say, God, man, this is, look at this. And that made the cover. And in about two years, Everything that was published was published like a Velvia photograph instead of like a Kodachrome photograph. And it was the beginning of... And and you can't blame people. We were all trying to sell stuff. We were trying to sell our images. And if we knew an editor was going to look at them and say, well, you know, this one's a, a lot brighter and richer in color, and this is nice, but, boy, this one's spectacular. They picked spectacular. And it was the beginning of going down a path of things being maybe... Bigger and better than they really were. And and then when we could do it ourselves, we could sit at the computer and say, wow, I'm gonna make the reds really go, and I'm gonna make the greens, and I'm gonna make them more translucent, and we could do layer masks, and we, you know, that's all fun and everything, but in all honesty, it's a lot harder to go out and make a photograph straight out of the camera that really speaks to someone than it is to sit at a computer and any of us can do that. Any of us can sit down with a file and make it unbelievable. But it is unbelievable. It's not what was there, that. and that's kind of the thing. I mean, if I have a whale out in the out in the in the Pacific Northwest, and it's got, you know, it's got a a, a horn for a snout, and it's got flames coming out of its tail. I mean, no way. I photographed that. No. <laughs> but I mean, it's we all know. We look at it and say. No whales did that. <laughs> and and it's, you know, it's just like if you put an elephant in the Merced River, it may be cool. The elephant's going to be really cool, but uh, cold. But it's not reality. And, and, you know, you're listening to a 71-year-old man talk about reality, and my reality's different than a lot of other people's. Because I've lived a long time. But I can tell you, there, you nature is special enough without enhancing it. I mean, if you're out there and you see the things that Joshua was talking about, you're there when it happens. I mean, you get, you know, you get cold chills. It's so incredible to see it. You don't have to go home and then say, "I'm going to make it even better." It was good enough, and I, it, that part worries me. Yeah, and
2: I, I would say, if, if I can just uh, add on to what Bill was saying, one, one thing that's been lost in, in the internet age, especially where every photo has to be. Uh, so eye-catchy that, that people are going to click on your tiny little thumbnail. Uh, so this has pushed photos into the direction of being very colorful, very graphic, very bold, very in-your-face. Subtlety has been lost. And when I think of uh, the old masters of the landscape uh, back in the days of film, you know their, their work was characterized by what I would call subtlety. They weren't just driving a Mack truck of the viewer's eyes with awesomeness all the time. They they were creating, they were crafting uh, really nice, brilliant compositions, but the kinds of compositions you would study and appreciate more over time, not the kind necessarily that would grab you right away. And I think in the age of the Internet, that's been lost to a very large degree. Everyone's competing to uh, to create a nuclear explosion of... Epicness in their photos, uh, so that they can maximize the number of likes they have on Facebook. And uh, you, you know, obviously, I, you can't be blind to that. I, you know, as, as, a, as a person who relies on the internet for my income, uh, I, I have purposefully moved my my field technique into a style that that it creates more of these bold graphic images. Uh, but uh, I always keep in mind that what I actually prefer. Are, are the images that express uh, things with a bit more sophistication and subtlety. And despite the fact that I know no one's going to like them, I still put them on my website. So,
0: so a bit of a related question. Uh, even without going into the, <coughs> the realm of excessive manipulation and excessive saturation and so on, but we are old enough that we realize that photography is not reality. There's always, as uh, Josh was saying, uh, an interpretation, uh, interpretation of the, the emotion the photographer was uh, uh, was proving, and we do that through things like framing. I mean, we we, we make conscious choices to, to present reality in a certain way, and in a way, we're speaking of fine art. So we're somehow trying to produce something that is beautiful. But maybe we are embellishing reality a little bit, even by our choice of framing and perspective so when those people that Bill <clears throat> was talking about have grown up in New York, they don't know what a tree looks like, <laughs> and they go to the uh, rainforest, they might be disappointed by what they see, because it doesn't match their expectations. Mm-hmm. So uh, we think we have a responsibility to show them, um, not, not reality, but at least.
2: Well, if, if, I, if, I, could, if I could just comment on that, because this is uh, something that's brought up a lot. You're right, uh, photography doesn't necessarily show reality. The photographer manipulates reality, but the photographer manipulates reality through the photographic process. That's what makes you a photographer. Um, So your choice of exposure, your choice of focal length, your position, your framing, your composition, that's how the photographer manipulates the reality that he or she sees in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, That's what we should be doing. We we shouldn't necessarily just be going out there and try to show a photo that any person would see we are trying to find the things that most people won't see. We're trying to find those spaces in between the everyday and the familiar. And that's how we express our art. So, you know, when I, when I think uh, when the three of us talk about capturing reality, I think we're talking about capturing it through the photographic process or manipulating it through the photographic process rather than manipulating it through some sort of digital computer process. That, that's art as well. It's, just, it's a different form of art, just like I wouldn't call Eddie Van Halen uh, a violinist. Uh, I wouldn't call someone who does that sort of aggressive Photoshop manipulation a photographer. I wouldn't call them a pure photographer. Maybe a mixed media artist or something like that. But it's just—it's a different form of art.
3: And each one of us has more than a 50 millimeter lens.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> mean, you know,
3: you can put on a different lens and you change the perspective mm-hmm. of everything, and then you move with that lens, which very few people do anymore, and I have trouble doing. But, but, but in all honesty, you know, I teach my students shoot where you think it's going to be a good shot and now let's take a walk together and we'll walk six steps and i'll show them how this is a much better photograph because you're using the lens more effectively but once again i'm like you i I don't see putting on a wide angle lens or putting on a 600 millimeter lens is not that's not changing the scene it's just interpreting it in a different way by how it's compressed or how it's expanded and um there's interesting, not long ago, somebody slipped an Elliot Porter photograph on social media, and it got very few likes. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're up against.
0: The, the other side of the coin, I think, might be, aren't we, by like, presenting nature in such a way, aren't we creating the problem of overconsumption because people will want to go visit some places that until some photographer discovered them, they were really pristine and nobody had seen them. Very few people had seen them and now uh, everyone oh, don't was there. and they are <laughs> overcrowded overpopulated oh. and risk, risk losing them. So, Josh, do you have any opinion on this? But do you think uh, in particular a photographer maybe sometimes should keep a location secret if they discover it?
1: So, I think that... Uh to some extent, I see a light at the end of the tunnel, getting back to what we were just talking about and all, and all of that. But, um, because we're, we're at a boundary now, like Ian was saying, where the pure photographic process and the manufacturing process are overlapping in a very yep. extreme Go way. Ahead. And the only way that the images can get more intense and more awesome and more epic is if they become 100% computerized. And so I think that we're, we're at a natural boundary point where we've swung to the extreme. And, and there are prevailing voices that are talking about subtlety and talking about... Uh, and I think, you know, things are going to moderate back. it's that, uh, so cute that you think that's going to happen. <laughs> I see it happening. I see it happening. Sorry. Sarah Marino, all the people that talk about it. But um, I just don't see how it can go any farther until it just gets pure, until everybody recognizes it's just computer.
3: Something wonderful is happening right now that I think is going to change landscape photography. The places that everybody wanted to photograph, but nobody knew where they were. Once the millennials started using their iPhones and smartphones to make photographs and they geotagged every location on earth, I could be in China and look up where... Mesa Arch is, and be there. And let me tell you, they are there. Last time I went down there, I got there three hours before sunrise, and there was already 80 photographers. There's a space for about five people to really get the shot everybody goes for. Um, Horseshoe Bend, Slot Canyons. Uh, I, I can go on naming places that we all used to go, and there would be three other photographers there and now there'll be six buses parked there, and there's people everywhere. And you go to Mesa Arch, and they're running across the arch do it with a selfie stick, <laughs> photographing themselves, which is dangerous as all get-out. But what it's forced us to do... Are you all familiar with the photographer named Guy Town? Yes. Guy is, lives in Torrey. I don't know if you know where Torrey is. It's in Utah. its I think if you die and you haven't been a good person, that's where you go. For <laughs> I, I mean there is nothing in Tory except Guy Tal. but guy hikes out in the middle of the wilderness and finds extraordinary things to photograph. And they're not photographs that anybody else has ever shot because he found them. And I think we're all going to be challenged to say, hey, Mesa Arch is great, but it's been shot. you know the uh, horseshoe Benjamin shot. Uh, all these things have been shot. I shot it. You shot it. But now let's go find something that's new, that that no one else is shooting and try to expand ourselves. There's plenty of stuff out there that we just haven't, quote, discovered. And it's usually something that there's not a road leading to it. I mean, you stop and then you have to go into the backcountry. And I see that as not for me because I'm at the end of the run, but for the younger photographers, I think that's Really what's going to be important is that you all say, I'm going to seek out, and you all, these guys are, seek out stuff that no one else is shooting um, because, honestly, you can't talk a stock agency today. There were Stock agencies that are useless anyway, but you can't talk them into taking a National Park photograph. They've got a trillion of everything, and you're not going to make a better shot than one of these guys or anyone else out there has made already. Go find something new that no one is photographing and work it. and and make it something that everybody wants to go to, and that's fine, and if 10 years from now there's a thousand people there, you'll be discovering another place somewhere else. Uh, But we're we're too prone to take the guide map of where you should stand and shoot and think that's photography. And even at my age, I'm realizing it's not. You've gotta go find a new way.
1: Yeah, I think that's a progression that every photographer goes through. I was certainly there when you're learning it's a very easy thing. There's so many variables in photography. How can you make it simple? Get rid of a few of them. If you go to a spot that you know is beautiful, you don't have to worry about how do I make a good composition? How do I find a good subject? All that it's done for you. You can just look online. Okay, here's how you make a shot from tunnel. And then you figure out, oh well, this is now I can get rid of that variable. All i have to focus on is my aperture and my shutter speed and things like that. So it's part of the process, and I think it's easy to. Uh, to look at what big trends of people are doing and forget about that each person within a trend is on their individual path. And I think it's maybe it's part of the fact that outdoor culture right now is becoming very popular. Yeah. And I think yeah. that is pushing people along those lines, And my hope, uh, which, again, may be naive, but <laughs> <it> is that <laughs> all the individuals within these trends who are out there running across Mesa Arch with a selfie uh, stick... A year from now, we're gonna go. What, what am I doing? Like, I want to express myself as an artist. Uh, I need to do that. I need to go off on my own. I need to go find a different artist to across. Yeah, and it,
2: you know, this is this has been one of the other reasons why I've, I've drifted away from being a pure landscape photographer because landscape photography, in particular, is susceptible to uh, this copycat photography or, or what I like to call comp stomping. You know, it's stomping all over other people's composition, because composition is, uh, the physical composition is so important to landscape photography. So people find an interesting landform or feature that, that creates a meaningful composition and they photograph it. And so it's easy, especially as Bill said, today's day and age, you can't hide it any place. If you put a, if you post a picture online, even if you don't reveal where it is, I guarantee Within a year or probably less, people will figure out where it is. Uh, whether and I, you know, I have people who contact me from time to time and say, "Hey, you know, you took this shot in a particular place. Can you t- give me the GPS coordinates for it?" You know, and I always write back and I say, "Look, I don't, I don't give that out. I'm not trying to hide anything proprietary here. The reason I don't give that information out is because I spent time exploring a part of the landscape that no one else." had explored before, no photographer had gone there, and found something meaningful there, I put that time in, and it was rewarding time for me. And that's how everyone should approach their photography. They shouldn't be trying to replicate what someone else has done. They should be out there finding their own artistic vision. And, you know, we we all have gone through the phase where we're copying other people's shots. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I think at some point you've got to break free of that and um but it, but it's it to me it's frustrating because other types of photography like wildlife or street photography really rely more on the moment than a specific physical feature that forms the basis of the composition that moment when when light uh mood uh and the, the spontaneous arrangement of physical elements uh come together for a short period of time to create something meaningful what uh, uh, Cartier Bresson called the decisive moment it's so important to other types of photography and I think it's important to landscape as well if you, if you break free of this place-based uh, photography style and embrace a moment-based photography style. So the types that's another reason why I don't often give out my locations for shots. I tell people, I say, look, you could go there, but you could find this exact composition that I shot. But I guarantee you'll be disappointed because it only worked as a composition because there was something going on, like the, the right cloud drifted by in the sky at the right moment and there was a beautiful sunset. Otherwise, it's a pretty nondescript place. Um, and I, I love making photographs like that. That That's the kind of landscape photography I still love to do. I, I won't go to a place like Mesa Arch uh, or, or places like that where where you literally have a hundred people lining up, uh, fighting for one good tripod spot. It's, uh, it's absolutely insane. Uh, but the thing is, you know, you walk away from Mesa Arch five minutes either direction, you can find cool, meaningful compositions that no one would ever think of looking for. And there you're wrong. And yeah. as long as you don't tell anyone where it was, it's going to take a while for people to figure it yeah. out. <laughs>
0: I think it all boils down to what Josh was saying before. It's, a, it's about the experience of the photographer being there. If you just follow a set of instructions, and you're not discovering the place in the ground, you're not discovering alternative compositions, and it's hard to put your own vision into the photos you made, just replicating what others have done. I and mean, It takes all
2: the fun out of it. I remember one uh, time I was in the, the uh, Narrows and Zion National Park, and I saw another young photographer walking by, and he had uh, these uh, pieces of paper with him. And there were other photographer's photographs on the paper. He was looking for these shots, and one of them was mine. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I was a little flattered by that, I suppose. But, but, uh, I, I, I just, I, that experience was like, wow, that is everything that's wrong with landscape yeah. photography today. <laughs> I
3: don't want to be blasphemous, but in all honesty, I was primarily a landscape nature guy, and I started to do what I call Americana landscape um, it's stuff that relates to our past. It can be an old rusty truck, but it can be a barn, it can be a, a farm area, it could be up in the, you know, where the Amish live, but to go and make photographs still is a landscape. It's not a pure nature landscape, but um, my friends jokingly say that I don't shoot anything that's not dead, dying, or petrified. That's because I just won't run animals down anymore. But but in all honesty, there's many, and, and as Ian said, he's moved into other areas of photography. I would encourage you, even if you're a pure nature landscape person, Experiment with some other kinds of subject matter. It'll make your landscape, nature work better, but there's a lot of things to photograph. Um, have you ever seen the TV show American Pickers? Mike's a friend of mine, and we, he lets us come into his store in Nashville, and we shoot all the stuff in his store, and I, I would love to go with them and photograph the junk that they've sort through. I mean, I love old stuff, and it has a historical value. It, there's a story to it. And if you do it right, you can make some really incredible, interesting photographs of something that's not nature landscape. I know this was a landscape and I'm getting way off. I'm sorry. Please, I beg your forgiveness. But, uh, but honestly, I, I, my only, I'm at a point, I'm not competing with these guys and I'm not competing with anybody. I'm now a professional comedian
1: <laughs> who
3: actually carries a camera and shoots for fun. And, and, but I think as a photographer, if you if your goal is to become really good at photography, go out and do the best stuff you can in the landscape of nature, but then cross over, do some crossover work in some other area, and it'll help you. I want to share one thing because I'm going to have to leave at 9 o'clock. I've got to catch a flight at Midway. But can I say one thing to them that's totally off? I, I, I never... You give me three people and I have a lecture, but this is short. <laughs> uh, I want to encourage you all to do something for me, but mostly for you. I, was, I spoke last night and I told the group that was in the room, if you like my photographs, thank you. That's, I really appreciate that. And when someone comes up and says, I love your images, it makes you feel great. And I, I appreciate that. But if they had, someone had walked up and said, you know, I just really don't care for your work, it would not upset me at all. And the reason is... I wasn't thinking about any of you when I shot it. Now, now that's not a sarcastic ugly remark. The truth is, as a photographer, when you get to where you don't need someone else to validate you, you don't need someone to say to you, "You're really good." When you say, look, we all know whether we're good or not. We know when we make a bad shot, we make a good shot. We know it. Start having fun being a photographer. Start doing things that you enjoy and quit worrying about whether you're going to get likes or if people are going to are going to are going to love you. If you're going to make any money, you're going to make it anyway. And trust me, there's some lousy photographers out there making great money. So has a lot not a lot to do with skill. Has more to do with are they business guys? No, not neither of these two. But but now I won't name names. But in all honesty, you guys, what I want for all the photographers I get a chance to talk to is for them to honor this craft by really loving it and enjoying it. And let it be good to you. And if you realize that you're feeling bad about your photography, uh, suck it up, go shoot, go get better. But don't worry about what anybody thinks about your work. We've all shot stinkers. We've all shot stuff that we wouldn't show anybody. But we work every day to get more consistent in shooting the good stuff. And that's that's what I would hope for you. don't worry about what anybody thinks about your work. Just if, if you're happy, don't be happy any more than that tomorrow I want to be better than I was today. And that'll take you a long way.
1: I, I think one of the best things you can do for your photography, uh, maybe as, as egotistical as it sounds, I really don't think it is, if you can become your own favorite photographer, it's a really valuable thing, because that means that uh, you have a vision and you're fulfilling that vision. Right, like you like a certain kind of photograph, and that's that's you as a photographer. And if you can create the kind of photographs that you like, you're successful. Yes. And and that's exactly what I think people are getting at there. Uh, then you don't need somebody to tell you this is a good photograph, it's great photograph. Well, I don't care what you think because this is what I want to create. This is my. And favorite. as I leave, I'll tell you
3: guys that these two guys are great photographers, and I love their work. Thank you. And I don't know. Excellent. I don't know that that makes a bit of difference right. to them. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Right back at you. Thank you very much. You, you have been a Titan Indian this world. You still are. So don't don't sell yourself short. He is not a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> not a, yeah, he's he's so not funny, funny, funny at all.
3: <laughs> well, on that note I'll go get an airplane back home. <laughs> Thanks, guys. God bless.